When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, Tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. We all have busy lives these days, and we don't want to waste a day recovering after a night out. That's why Zbiotics is the answer we've all been looking for. Their probiotic was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Pre-alcohol produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. This is a proactive solution that wards off feeling miserable the next day instead of a reactive approach like drinking electrolytes or eating greasy food. Enhance your mornings with Zbiotics. Go to zbiotics.com/cbs to get 15% off your first order when you use code CBS at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So, if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/cbs and use the code CBS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Berlin at the ITB, the largest travel convention show on the planet. My next guest, I see him in... He lives in Stockholm. I live in, well, I live on a plane. Um, but I never see him in Stockholm, and he never sees me on a plane. But we do see each other from time to time in various places around the world, including Berlin. Doug Lansky, how are you, man? Hey, it's great to be here, Peter. I mean, every time I see you, I can always ask you, okay, you know, what's, what's bothering you about the world of travel? <laughs> I can tell you what's bothering me that I'm going to be speaking about later today at this conference, and that's the visitor welcome. There's all much this. They did a really interesting uh, study with uh, uh, TripAdvisor where they saw that the traveler was most excited at their point of entry. If they tracked their entire trip from before they booked till after they were home, and when the travelers are in a most excited state, that's where they get beaten up. That's when they get beaten up. Right before, if they're, if they're not getting held up, it's when they're entering at the airport and/or at the hotel. Well, I, I will tell you a story that happened to me about a year ago. I was so I was shocked. I flew in from uh, from Frankfurt to Chicago. I was going. I was clearing customs, and when I got to the customs officer, because the global entry machines weren't working, mm-hmm. when I got to the customs officer, she, it was a woman. She said, "Well, welcome home." I went, "Oh my God, marry me!" I mean, I mean, I was. Ne- it was like what she was so nice. Yeah, and I mean that makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. And here's the thing: when people get off of a plane, they walk through a waiting area, they walk down some hallways, they stand around and get their luggage, and then the first thing they do when those doors open and they exit that secure area of the airport, there's between 20 and 200 people standing and waiting. Some of them drivers, some of them are their family members. They look you over head to toe. And you're not the person they're looking for. So the first thing you get greeted by is about 200 people who are not happy to see you. 
Yeah. That's, that's the current state of the welcome. And so what could be but done? I'm not happy to see them either. <laughs> well, there's that. well, there's always that. Okay, just double checking. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at it, this is a, an important point of contact. Any marketer, once they leave that airport, they're off into the destination. Why would a marketer want to miss that opportunity to help make a great impression, especially if it didn't cost them much? So let's say you're landing in America and you're landing at the Newark or JFK or anything like that. Imagine if they had like some Bruce Springsteen playing. Imagine if there's a really friendly person like the one you describe, wearing a cowboy hat, big smile, had a tray with drinks, free water, free juice, free Coke or Diet Coke, and said, hey, welcome back home or welcome to America. Hope you have a great stay. Well, why wouldn't somebody, I'm asking the same question you just asked. I mean, why wouldn't somebody like a Coca-Cola or a Hershey's or somebody basically give you a, a, a welcome to America with an American branded product? I think if Brand USA or US Travel got behind that just basic notion and invited them in, I would imagine a lot of sponsors would be lining up to do just that. Right, but, just, but more than just product, it has, to, it has to be attitude change. We have a situation right now because of the January 27th original executive order by the president, now having been amended, but the optics are still terrible. The perception of America right now is that we're unwelcoming, we're closed, and, 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 we're, and we're really hostile to foreign tra travelers. And as a result, we're going back to the days immediately following 9-11 where we lost 10 years of revenue, tax base, and jobs because of the same feeling that the world had about us. I think it's going to go even one further here because now, as you know, they're trying to ask for social media passwords. They want to get access. They want you to give up your Twitter account password, your Facebook password, Instagram password before you can get access to, you know, get your ESTA application and come into the as U.S. As a foreigner. As a foreigner. Well, I know friends of mine who are foreigners who've had their laptops seized. Um, and at a certain point, where is the due process here? Right. We need a better welcome. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, the thing is this. You can't have a better welcome until you have a better perception. Right. Because right now, the perception is don't go. I mean, exactly. we're looking at a huge drop, 17% drop in online search, 7% uh, 7 drop in online bookings, and that's an average. So look at those numbers, right, since January 27th. In the first week following uh, the January 27th order, business travel alone lost $185 million in bookings. And that's globally that's and you can tie it right to that it's going to be interesting to see what gets trump's attention is it going to be job loss is it going to be some of these economic numbers that come out that he sees when international travelers stop showing up at our airport i know there's been an attempt in the private sector to get those numbers in front of him so that he can see it because you know beware of the law of unintended consequences i don't think this is properly thought i don't think anybody including him thought this was going to happen Definitely not. This is, a, this is a tidal wave that's just sort of shaping up out at sea, this whole lack of international visitors showing up in the U.S. And I think it's something that people in the industry can all see coming, like yourself. And I know people, as I walk around the fair here, talking to people from the U.S. and different booths, they're worried. They see this coming. And hopefully... Well, they can, over, they can almost quantify it right now. They don't have to see it. They can look at the numbers right now. Yeah, it's happening already. I think this is just the beginning. Well, let's turn it on its head for a second and talk about especially unintended consequences, the plus side here, it's a global buyer's market in travel. Uh, New York to Hong Kong round trip right now is $440. Yep. New York to Barcelona, 440 And these are summer fares, and we're only in March. But this is exactly what's going to happen. All these other international de destinations are going to sense this sort of tentativeness in coming to the U.S., and they're going to pounce on that. And they're going to start going to Hong Kong or Barcelona or south africa oh, or wherever although i have to tell you and i'm almost embarrassed as an american to say this so many of my friends who are not one of those seven countries that might be affected in the original trump executive order are saying oh i'm going to cancel my safari to africa or i'm not going to go to egypt or i'm not because of this it doesn't even affect them wow yeah oh no you're seeing that that drop off and so it's not just foreigners coming inbound it's americans going outbound right now at a certain point you think some of that discounting would get their attention that they get so much attention, they go, oh, I got to go. I mean, it's cheaper than going to Washington, you right. know, for the shuttle, right? right. Well, one of the things is the bar for the welcome, the bar has been so low for so long. All it really takes is someone with a big smile saying, like you said to you, welcome back home or welcome to America. Imagine this. Imagine you get into a taxi. Not only is it clean and the person has gotten some basic training on, you know, being polite without being in your face about it. Imagine if the taxi driver says this to you, hey, I've got a MiFi device here. Here's the password. It's written right on the window if you want to use free internet while you're in my cab. Right. What a great way to start a conversation. And, and the guy welcome. gets a better tip. Absolutely. I mean, one of my best experiences ever was in a New York cab, oh God, 20 years ago. Um, 
on the way to Kennedy Airport, and I had such a great experience. I made the guy my driver for the next 10 years. I mean, and he wasn't just my driver, but I had his cell phone, and he picked, it was a yellow cab, yeah. but he would, he would drive me, he'd drive my mom, he'd drive my friends. Um, he never had the meter on. Once a month, he just told me what I owed him. I gave him a check. I mean, it was great because he started a conversation. I was welcomed. Right. And, and all of a sudden, you know, it's part of the extended family, which is what travel is at its best. One of the things I'm trying to start thinking about is imagine if this catches on. If, they, if the DMO finally says, you know what, that is worth a something. A DMO meaning what? A DM, the Destination Marketing Thank Organization. You. Make sure but although me. I think it should be called a Destination Management Organization, I think they need to play a bigger role in making sure, for example, the beaches stay cleaned, uh, that, that there aren't too long of queues at some places. I couldn't agree with you more. It's not about marketing. It's about making sure the buses run on time. You, you, if you don't do that, no amount of marketing is going to save you. You need a great experience. It's still, the best marketing is word of mouth, so you have to give a great experience to make sure you continue to get that word of mouth. But imagine if these guys start you know, hiring their creativity, their PR team or their advertising agencies to come up with a great welcome. Imagine as those doors open, instead of having all those people standing there, there's a jumbotron that takes a picture of you, puts it up on the big screen and says, whatever, welcome to Newark. They could do a lot of really cool stuff. They, they could. And look, the technology exists. Uh, there's a budget for it somewhere. You, somewhere. Just, got, you just have to have the will. You're good at unlocking those budgets. Maybe you could have a check. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, if I can unlock those budgets, the welcome is going to be in my pocket, buddy. I, no. But seriously, I mean, the word that you used, Doug, was imagine. Mm. The year is 2017. Why should we even have to imagine? And we should already be there. We should already be there. There's some airports that you've probably arrived at as well that they've done a great job. Austin? Putting in, yeah. They put in like a waterfall. They have like a scene. Well, they have live music at Austin. Right. You know? There's some stuff they are doing, and so those people should be getting credit for that. Yeah. Uh, and I know that uh, Nashville has live music as well. Right. And when they're branding themselves as a music city, what better thing to have welcoming tourists than music? But they need to start thinking like that. It's the first, and not only at airports, it's usually the last experience as well. The first experience and the last, the two most lasting touch points of their trip. And you, as a marketer, you don't want to let those go. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. at North Island, and you don't know where that is, but I do, in the Seychelles. Does that help you? Uh, Bruce Simpson, how are you, man? Yeah, very well yourself. I mean, for years, uh, the Seychelles to me was if they have a sale, they reduce things to retail. It's an expensive place, <laughs> but, but it's also a fragile place. Yep. And in the work that you're doing out there, and one of the reasons why you're being honored uh, by National Geographic, is to be able to take some place and not ruin it in the process of exposing it. Exactly that. And it's, um, it's an amazing concept that the Seychelles government have been driving and been supportive of for years. We as private sector operators get to partake in something like that, which is you know, shared values. And we have, you know, for the last 15, 18 years, we, after Wilderness Forest bought it, got involved in exactly that, driving a program supporting the Seychelles government. All right. So now let's give everybody a sense of place before they have to get out their maps. Where is North Island? Okay, so North Island in the Seychelles. I know, Fregat Island. Or, or okay, well, okay. not far away. I know. And um, probably equidistant from Mahe, the main island in the Seychelles, which is, if you took a line from Africa, uh, from Dar es Salaam, kind of uh, same, same latitude in, in that space. North Island is 15-minute helicopter ride from Mahe or an hour by boat. And give me the history of that and why it's so special for you. So North Island was bought by Wilderness Safaris you know, 18 years ago. It was bought with an idea of um, expanding the tourism brand that Wilderness Forest is so well known for in Southern Africa. And a lot of what they do is about protecting, you know, or influencing the protection of natural wildlife areas. North Island was a perfect opportunity. It was an old farm that was um, invaded by not only plants, but also animals. And it was an opportunity. It, ne it needed help. It needed help. It was, uh, it was totally overrun by invasives. And our opportunity was to eradicate and in doing so, then be able to reintroduce endemic plants and plants and bird species. And it was a learning curve for you because it was a brave new world for you as well. You know, if they say in business, if you you know want to expand your business, is only you know you, you change one of you know either the, your 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 product, your location, or your clients. I think we changed every single one of them. Uh, we learned some big lessons along the way. Give, give me a couple of lessons well. that you learned that you were then able to apply. So. 
you know, Wilderness as a company has operated in wildlife areas in Africa where the hardest, one of the hard, you know, logistical things is getting a truck into, you know, the, the delta, the swamps of Botswana. We learned lessons around an ocean and um, the logistics and living on an ocean and the conditions around an ocean. It's different to anything we've ever experienced and just keeping things going. Just to be able to source things. Well, absolutely. We're buying things from the Middle East, from Southern Africa. And We're it all comes it in, in by boat. That's right, yeah. So ordering and something... And if the boat doesn't come in... Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Six months later and you get your stuff or you don't is a big if. So you said you changed everything. You also changed your clients? Well, in essence, we did. Uh, the advantage is that so many clients are, are doing the... The, the bush and beach, as they call it, okay, where they go on safari, but it's a long trip and it's a long travel for them, so they add a bit of you know, luxury and downtime on, 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 on a beach somewhere. That's an advantage, but um, we also went into a much higher level of tourism. So we've gone into a very high end of luxury, and that was because of the opportunity in the Seychelles, but possibly also how we see it is uh, using high-end luxury to drive our conservation efforts. And getting their attention. Absolutely. How do you get their attention? Um, the collaboration and the association with Wilderness is obviously a huge advantage because of the work that they've done. Secondly, you've got to be committed. So we have got an exclusive private island, just 11 villas. We could have done 22 or 33, and the business model would have been easier. But we stayed committed to a small and exclusive product and used our conservation efforts as one of our biggest marketing tools. I'm assuming that with only 11 villas, if you want to be there, you really got to want to be there. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Right? And, uh, yeah, you, you, you get people who are already arriving committed. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, the nice thing about people coming is they have an expectation of seeing and experiencing what we're talking about from the conservation and sustainability point of view. But, yeah, they're coming to a unique island in the Seychelles, which is a new destination. But, yeah, they, they know about us when they get there. What's your biggest environmental challenge? Uh, without a doubt, is keeping rats off the island. So one of the things really? we had to do was... Um, there, there's a nice marketing branding <laughs> term. Yeah, well, I guess the only good thing about marketing it is to say we don't have them anymore. But uh, one of the biggest projects we undertook was to eradicate the black rat, which is a tree-dwelling rat off the island. And that took us... We did two attempts. The first attempt failed. And as you know... I'm not going to ask what you did for the second attempt. <laughs> Sounds like a Wile E. Coyote uh, cartoon. No, you know, you know it's, it's, that's the hardest thing. Because while we did it 10 years ago, um, and 13 years ago respectively, we have to, every single day that we operate, we have to make sure that we don't bring any rodent or any invasive species back onto the island. And that includes the famous black rat. That's exactly how, they, how would they get back on? Um, ships. Boats. Ah. You know, um, they could would swim from neighboring islands, the closest being Silhouette. But the biggest danger is that when you were talking about procurement from you know, uh, far away, they come in from they the They hitchhike. Harbors. They hitchhike. And they're the world's best. Absolutely. Bruce Simpson, the managing director at North Island Seychelles Wilderness Safaris. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Joining me now, one of our regulars on the show, and finally in person, because we normally are talking by some sort of satellite phone somewhere in the world. Uh, he's the editor-at-large for National Geographic Traveler and a good friend, Costas Christ. Costas, you're here for a specific reason, aren't you? Well, I am, Peter, and it is great to be here together with you, seated next to each other side by side uh, at ITB. I'm here uh, to host the National Geographic World Legacy Awards, which are done in partnership with ITB. So you have National Geographic, the world's largest travel organization, partnering with ITB, the world's largest travel gathering, to advance sustainable tourism principles and practices. All right, now that sounds really good. We can all roll the credits and go home at the end of the movie, but what are we talking about here? We're talking about a global transformation of travel as we know it. You know, Peter, uh, you've heard me say this before. In 1950, there were 25 million international travelers. That was the first year they kept track of them. Last year, there were over 1.2 billion. So in 65 years, we have seen a tremendous growth in tourism. And so the question is, is that going to be a billion opportunities for our planet? Or are we going to talk about a billion threats? And I want to make sure it's an opportunity. And that's where sustainable tourism comes into the picture. Right. But you want to make sure that it's an opportunity. But you really are dealing with the threats. 
we absolutely are dealing with the threats. And it's not just in the context of travel. We live on a finite planet with finite resources. And the travel industry also relies on those re uh, resources. Think about that for a moment. Really, travel sells culture and nature when it comes right down to it. Right. So why wouldn't the travel industry want to make sure that it is protecting the very things that it sells? Okay, so give me an example of where you've had some successes. Well, I think we've seen some great successes, uh, particularly among the 15 uh, finalists of the World Legacy Award, some of whom you'll be speaking with today. Uh, so, for example, uh, North Island in the Seychelles, which is a 10 years into a Noah's Ark project that is protecting some of the rarest and most endangered species on the a earth. A Noah's Ark project meaning what? Meaning this, there is an island in the Seychelles. The Seychelles, just like the Galapagos, is a place where life evolved independent from other continents. So we have some of the rarest animals in the world found only in the Seychelles and no other place. The Seychelles is what we call a biodiversity hotspot. What is biodiversity? It's life on Earth. So in the Seychelles, we have a concentration of species that are found nowhere else. And North Island, as an example, is a Noah's Ark project that is repopulating those endangered species on an island. Two by two? <laughs> two, two by two, literally, really? Peter. It is, it, it's funny to say that, but the truth is, for example, the magpie robin was down to 12 species in 1992. 12 left on the entire earth, okay? Enter North Island and other conservation groups working to bring them back from the brink of extinction. Today, there are over 200, and they are found on North Island and other islands in the Seychelles joining in this conservation effort. And that was only done because they were there. It was done because we know that travel, when it is done well and properly managed, is a powerful force for alleviating poverty, meaning improving people's local lives, safeguarding our cultural treasures, historic sites, archaeological sites, and protecting nature. Now, we know here at ITB, people are here to conduct business. They're here to travel and do business transactions. How do you jump that hurdle of business transactions and educate people in the business about what they need to do about the planet? Well, I think that's a great question, and I'll put it to you the way I once explained it to a group of African parliamentarians. I said, you see these elephants in the national park? I can come to you and tell you that we should save them because they're species that need to be protected, and I honestly believe that. But if you don't see it that way, every one of them is also generating $40,000 a year, $100,000 a year in revenue inside this national park. So when you look at an elephant, you're looking at $100,000 in revenue. What is the single most popular photograph that tourists want to take at Amboseli National Park in Kenya? An elephant against the backdrop of Mount Kilimanjaro. If we lose that snow-covered peak of Kilimanjaro and we no longer have any elephants, then you can kiss the safari business goodbye. For every eight tourists in Africa, one person is employed full-time. So the connection between business success and conservation is direct. You gotta, if you don't connect the numbers, they'll never get it and you have to connect it for them. But what we are seeing now is more businessmen beginning to understand, wait a minute, if I'm in business and I have a product and my product is selling unspoiled beaches and beautiful rainforests and wonderful places to hike, well then I gotta make sure that product's gonna be around. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio with no particular place to go. We've been speaking with Costas Christie, editor-at-large of National Geographic Traveler. When we say editor-at-large, it means he's never home. He's always at-large. He's almost like a fugitive. I think you are a fugitive. And let's talk about being at-large because the people that you're honoring at ITV for actually making a difference have very interesting stories to tell. Well, Peter, uh, the truth is I'm a fugitive from environmental injustice, meaning where it happens, I'm going to go after it. And you know that I have a wonderful blueberry farm. But oh, yeah, now that he mentioned that, I'm still waiting for a single blueberry from that farm. We've been talking on the air for, what, five years now? I have not seen a single blueberry. Real simple. Come to Maine in August, and you will see more blueberries than you could hope to imagine. Okay, done deal. Now let's get serious. All right, now. getting serious. We're here at ITB to honor the visionaries in travel that are making a difference. And what are some of those visionaries, and how are they making a difference? Well, for example, the lodge at Chalk Creek in the small country of Belize. Ecotourism in Belize really started as a love story. Two passionate 
backpackers who were passionate for each other, washed up on the shores of Belize, fell in love with the country, decided that they were going to homestead in the rainforest, and 30-odd years later, they run one of the best eco-lodges in the world, protecting the rainforest and sustaining the well-being of local communities. Now, they also put Belize on the map for being a responsible tourism destination. And these folks have a name? Lucy and Mick Fleming, the owners okay. of the lodge at Chalk Creek. And, and, they, and they sort of blazed the trail there because everything they did, they were doing for the first time, weren't they? They were. They were. Again, another one of our honorees will be the Cayuga Collection, which also happens to be in Central America, not because that's where all the good work is happening, but it's one of the honorees we'll also have in Nicaragua and Costa Rica. This is a hospitality management company that runs eight different hotels, and they are literally as green as green can get. And if you speak with the owner, Hans Fischer, what he will tell you is this. It's not easy doing everything in harmony in nature, but what we see is our staff are inspired and our guests are inspired, and they take that message of sustainable living into their own lives. All right, so I'm going to ask what might be considered a cynical question. Is it possible, I know this is a cynical question, I apologize, but is it possible to be too green? No, and the reason I say it's not possible to be too green is, look, we don't want to be green as in snobby or anything like that. But the fact of the matter is, Peter, we are living on a planet that's under threat. We are losing more species today than we've ever lost before. We are dealing with political situations, which are now putting even greater resources at threat, climate change, which has to be addressed. So right now, we need every green soldier we can get, and the travel industry is helping lead that charge. But you also have to make it in their best interest financially to do it. Well, the day that people make money from being greener, from caring more for other people, for protecting endangered species, for protecting cultural heritage is a great day. And today, the travel industry is making money from doing just that. And almost they had to be dragged kicking and screaming to figure that out, didn't they? From initially, yes. they did. Yes. The fact of the matter is, I can tell you that my early discussions were went along these lines. Gee, Costas, you seem like a nice kid, but if you want to save nature, don't talk to us. We're hotel guys. We put heads in beds. Go talk to World Wildlife Fund. You want to help people in need? Go talk to the Red Cross. We put heads in beds. I had to remind them when they put heads in beds, where do they do it and what do they show in their brochures? And then they connected the dots that they sell nature and culture. And they finally had to figure out that when they flush the toilet in a hotel room, where does it go? That's right. And one of the things that I think we all have to understand is that the, if you look at the origins of the word economics, well, eco comes from that connection. The actual origins of that word are connecting ecology to our survival and our livelihoods. So we got to get back to the original meaning of economics as in ecological money making good for the planet and good for people. I mean, look, there are revenue managers and accountants at every opportunity to make your day miserable. Uh, in terms of driving profits within different travel revenue centers. How do you get to them to say, look, it's not how much it costs, it's how much it's worth. It's not how much the bar of soap costs, it's what you do with the soap that you're not using. The way we go about this, Peter, is twofold. The good news is that we are now seeing increasing numbers of research out there. Harvard University and Stanford University put out a report a year ago, the business schools, in which 70% of U.S. travelers said they will pick a company that cares for the environment over one that does not. The Travel Foundation... Now, that wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. No, and so what I'm getting at is we are seeing not just anecdotal stories, not just my opinion of what's right or what's wrong. We are seeing hard and fast research that's saying that those companies that are committed to sustainability today are going to be the business leaders of tomorrow. Although, I'll give you the devil's advocate response, these are the same people who will say on a survey they'll only stay at a hotel that has a health club, but they never use it, or they'll only stay at a hotel that has a pool and they never visit it. So you have to actually you know, combine actions with words. Yeah, but that's the good news. There is no reason today, Peter, that you can't have an incredible vacation, a wonderful lifetime dream trip, and at the same time do it in a way that is positive for the people who live in that destination and that is safeguarding the resources and the cultural and natural treasures we visit. That's the magic of sustainable tourism. This isn't a choice between do I have a good vacation or do I care about the planet. They're one and the same today. There you go. Keep that going. This is Flight 372 on SWA. The flight attendant's on board serving you today. Teresa in the middle, David in the back. 
My name is David, and I'm here to tell you that shortly after takeoff, first things first, there's soft drinks and coffee to quench your thirst. But if you want another kind of drink, then just holler. Alcoholic beverages will be four dollars. If a monster energy drink is your plan, that'll be three dollars. He's the, you uh, get the, whole the CEO of the we Travel Corporation or the Travel Corporation of America. I don't, I don't know. How, is it the Travel Corporation? Just the Travel Corporation. Thank or you, sir. TTC. Brett Tolman. Uh, Brett, you and I have, well, literally traveled the world together. What's the significance, especially in the year 2017, of seeing so many people gathered to essentially acknowledge the largest industry in the world? It's fantastic, Peter, as you know, and wonderful being with, here, with you. One of the most passionate, informed, intelligent people in the travel industry. Okay, and thank stop you for sucking your support. up right now. <laughs> no, I mean that sincerely, okay. listeners. Thanks. No, it's fantastic. It shows the industry's vibrant. It shows people are very interested in the diverse destinations of the world. I was just talking to someone from Jackson Hole, Wyoming, who observed that in the one area where the Americas are situated, you've got the American booth sitting opposite the Russian booth, you've got the Ukraine booth sitting in between. And I was just in the Middle East section talking to our partners who operate for us in Egypt, and that was relatively quiet. And that's Egypt and it's been quiet for a while. Saudi Arabia it has. And then I was over visiting with our friends in Greece, and that area was packed. And that shows the differences in the situation today on the ground where Tunisia, Turkey, and other parts of the world that have been very strong destinations during the winter months for Americans are obviously negatively impacted by what's happened there. And Greece is benefiting from uh, those situations. So as you take the pulse around here on the floor, what are, you, what are you hearing about any sort of an upside here? Because what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing is that there is global uncertainty. There's a certain amount of fear of foreigners visiting the U.S. Uh, but what I'm also seeing, which, which I was sort of surprised to see, is how many friends of mine who I think are reasonably intelligent and well-read and educated who are sitting home now saying, oh, they want to wait to see how this all settles out in terms of America's you know, position officially on immigration and visas. Absolutely. I was just in Australia a couple of weeks ago, and that's all people wanted to talk to me about. And obviously, we're seeing it everywhere, whether it's at home in the U.S. or overseas. The recent U EU announcement that they're going to be changing uh, visa reciprocity if the ESTA visa changes. And we do live in a very global, interconnected world. But it is swings and roundabouts, obviously. When Americans are staying home, people are visiting other countries. Brand USA has done a remarkable job in the last several years with the support of the U.S. government to promote and encourage people to visit our fine land. And obviously, we both hope that does not change. Well, we all remember, as our good friend Roger Dow pointed it out to us, the lost decade, you know, between 2001 and 2011, where, you know, America lost so much in terms of revenue, tax base, jobs, brain drain, because we were perceived as being unwelcoming, inhospitable, and closed. In the last three years of the Obama administration, they sort of got their act together. They changed the visa waiting times from 180 days down to three. Uh, people were not frustrated anymore about coming to the United States. No security issues were compromised in the process. They just figured out where the choke points were and figured them out. And the numbers started to go up. And then we now have a combination of this perfect storm of Brexit, the U.S. dollar, the pound, the euro going down, the Egyptian pound being devalued, the Turkish lira being devalued, and then the uncertainties of any election year every four years. And then what, pro what was produced by that election and people getting just scared. Uncertainty, we know, is never good for people's thought and optimism about travel. And I think what Roger said at the recent industry event, which is that you know, America does want to protect its borders and keep its people safe, and that's absolutely and that's true. And that's not negotiable. Correct. Right. But there is the uncertainty, and the point is that we are very much open. Almost any country is welcome to the U.S. As he said, there's a billion Muslims that are most welcome and free to enter the United States. So I just think the government needs to do a little more to encourage that. What I can tell you that's very encouraging, we're having one of our best booking years in recent history. So, And I'm talking about outbound from America. Yes. So that's fantastic. So that's fantastic. not keeping your clients from going? No. Well... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a wild guess that a majority of your clients are repeat travelers, so they've had experience during times like this. Absolutely. But that's only 40%. And we're talking about 70 countries in the world that we operate in and sell to. So I think it's very encouraging. There is some pent-up demand, as you said, with last year's elect national election. Every four years, we do see a dip as people kind of wait to see what happens. 
and I think a lot of Americans are traveling. We very much deal with middle-class America, so it's wonderful to see people wanting to travel. What's your biggest challenge right now? Uncertainty, technology, I could name them, but I'll remain optimistic, and every day is a new day. And thanks to people like you, honestly, talking about travel, encouraging people to travel, to think about new destinations, or revisiting. One of our biggest challenges is France, I'll tell you. We are still seeing a terrible concern about people, whether they're from Australia to America and everywhere in between wanting to go back. As you know, World Travel and Tourism Council has said it takes about a year for a country to recover from a, a terrorism attack, and we're into well over that. Yeah, because that happened in November of 2015. Correct. So we're way over a year on that. Right. And yet so you would think that France being traditionally one of the most popular destinations for Americans, uh, they would not be denied. They had to go see the, the, the Mona Lisa. They had to go to the Louvre. And you're seeing you're still being challenged there. Yeah, and obviously there's only one France, there's one Paris. I love being there. I was there on the 13th of November 2015. I'll be there at the end of the month. We're launching our newest ship. I hope you'll come sail on her, the Joie de Vivre. And as part of our dedication to the French people, French culture, it means the joy of life. And it's all about celebrating the best of France. The wonderful Dame Joan Collins will be our godmother, and she wants to meet you. Don't you start. You see, you keep doing You're such a provocateur. But the point is, you're not staying out of the market. You're staying in the market. Absolutely. More so than ever. We believe in France. We believe in supporting the French people. We believe in supporting all people because with the year of UN's sustainable travel commitment, travel is good. And we all need to keep travel traveling. The more travel we do, the more we understand, appreciate, and embrace other cultures and each other. Are you seeing any signs that travel is going to get back in France? Yes. But slowly? Slowly. Wow. And of course, the knee-jerk reaction by so many Americans, anytime something happens, sets its back. And as Roger, or someone said recently, 11,000 people were killed in handgun incidences in the United States last year versus the 200 that have died in terrorist attacks in France. So the numbers don't make sense. So I just encourage all your listeners to think about coming back to France or traveling anywhere in the world, getting away. We all need a holiday, and there's amazing places to see out there. Hello? Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. I'm joined by an old friend of mine. I won't tell you how long ago we go back. We go back a long time. Uh, he's the chief executive of a small little airline that has no growth potential whatsoever called Qatar Air. Akbar Al-Bakr, how are you, sir? Thank you. I'm good, my friend. And we should not say how long we have been together because then it will expose our age. <laughs> You're right. But in all seriousness, you've had explosive growth in your airline, um, not just in terms of your fleet, but in terms of your routes. Um, and how many cities in the United States do you fly to now? We fly to over 11 cities in the United States and, and growing. And, of course, the real battle out there now, if you're to listen to certain U.S. airlines, is about how they're at an unfair competitive disadvantage because of the Gulf carriers, including you. Uh, I don't believe that uh, we are giving them unfair uh, uh, disadvantage against us. As a matter of fact, it is a making of their own because they have all product, dilapidated uh, cabins, uh, cutting costs, but making bumper profits, the largest profits in the history of aviation. Well, so I don't, I don't know why they are, com they are complaining about it. Plus, they don't fly to Doha. They don't fly to 99% uh, to of our network. So we are actually providing easy, seamless uh, uh, travel experience to the American public. And at the same time, you're a member of the One World Alliance. Part of the, uh, the, you, you the connect Amer with American, the very, you uh, connect part with of, exactly, right. part, but unfortunately, uh, they are being swayed by one individual who is still uh, in backstage influencing things. I thought that- uh, You're talking about Delta Airlines. Exactly, I thought that uh, the gentleman leaving Delta that the new Delta management will look at us in a more positive way and try to cooperate with us. I am even today ready to cooperate with Delta and, and give their passengers uh, a network expansion on Qatar Airways, especially that we operate 
uh, uh, Delhi to, to Atlanta, to their major hub. Oh, but so, what, yeah. what I would also like to mention, that, you know, the United CEO mentioning that uh, he doesn't understand why we operate uh, to United States. Well, we have only 30, 40 passengers in our aeroplane. I think, frankly speaking, he must be smel smelling glue. He should go <laughs> and see the MIDT and see what high load factors we are carrying out of the United States, serving the American public. Well, so much of what you've done with your route network, and same thing with Emirates and Etihad, is the connectivity through your hub. So, for example, if I needed to go from Hong Kong to Nairobi, I go through Doha. It's a very easy connection. You should ask this question to these three American carriers. If you want to go from United States to Nairobi, how do you go? And they don't have an answer. Because they don't fly it. Exactly. So why wouldn't it be, I'll ask the devil's advocate question, why wouldn't it be in their best interest to either co-chair with you or, or form some sort of an alliance where you do provide that connectivity? Well, I think you should ask them. They can benefit from our network. They can make money without flying to these places. We are ready to cooperate with them. We are ready to co-chair with them. You know, Qatar Airways is an airline that is no threat to them at all. What they have done is by consolidating themselves, they have removed capacity so they can keep on charging extremely high rates to the American public, make bumper profits, but give them crap product. And this is unfair to the American public because they deserve a lot more. And I'm, I'm very glad that uh, President Trump is, is talking about this. Well, what's interesting is that he just had a meeting with all the airline CEOs and your name came up. And yes, because, because he is very frank, he is very clever businessman, and he knows how to create competition uh, to serve the American public. He wants America first. Well, and we in yeah. Qatar Airways do keep that in mind. And for us, America is always first. Well, what's interesting to me is that when they asked him about you in particular and also the other airlines, meaning Emirates and Etihad, he said, guys, I hear you, but they buy a lot of American airplanes. Exactly. Whilst they complain about us, they go and buy European airplanes, Brazilian airplanes, Canadian airplanes, and then they talk about America first. What a, what a, what a, you know, I, I don't know what word to really use. What Hip a hypocrisy. Hypocritical. And we've said it at the same time. <laughs> so where do you see your network expanding now? Because you're going to 11 U.S. cities as it is. Are there more U.S. cities? Or yes, we have already uh, announced that we'll be going to Las Vegas from January. Uh, we'll be going to Detroit soon. We will be going to other uh, couple of American destinations, which I'm not uh, ready to tell you. But let me tell you something that I have a huge queue of uh, CEOs of airports in the United States. Who are knocking on your door. Knocking on my door and, and requesting us to, to fly to their, to their airports. So what is this fuss about? I don't understand. Well, I think one of the reasons is, and we've seen this change in America, where you see U.S. cities who are not being well served or that are not being well served by the U.S. carriers, meaning they've cut capacity. And so the... For those airports, they're appealing to airlines like you to do ultra-long-haul, non-stop service because they have the space. They need you. Not only they have the space, they have the diaspora of uh, countries like India, Pakistan, uh, other countries in the Middle East and Africa where people cannot travel. And they have to pay exorbitant fares to these three American carriers to carry their passengers over their JV partners. Well, their JV, Joint partners, yeah. their JV partners, the partnership is only across uh, the Atlantic. It's not in the entire network. And I can prove to you by statistics, validated statistics by IATA, that those airlines individually are carrying more fifth and sixth freedom traffic than all the three Gulf carriers put together. Well, let's talk about that because I don't think many people understand what fifth freedom is. Uh, for example, the other day I needed to go from Sao Paulo to, to Buenos Aires. I took Turkish Air. That's a fifth freedom flight. Exactly. Right? Uh, Emirates has a flight that's going to start this month from New York or Newark actually to Athens. Yeah. Also fifth freedom. fifth freedom. Yeah. Yeah. And you have it. Yes. No, we don't. We, we have fifth freedom over our network. That's what I'm we saying. Don't, we don't operate the United States from an intermediate, no, no, intermediate I know, I know point. That. But I'm saying but you have however, it in the network. Yes, you do. but sure. in the network. For example, if you, you know, a lot of... Um, uh, Americans go to the Himalayas, to, the, to Nepal. How do you go if you depend on these three carriers? You will not, you'll have to do three stops if you want to go to Nepal with them. With Qatar Airways, you do the shortest time and you only do one stop. And of course, don't forget that you get a five-star service, which you will you, never get. You had to give me that plug, didn't you? You had to plug. Well, I had. I have to tell <laughs> you, you this. You did it, didn't you? Yes. But you know that I always like to rub the salt in the wound. 
Oh, oh yeah, you're good at that. You are good at that. <laughs> but for example, I needed to get somebody from New York to Bangkok. And not only the easiest way to go, but the least expensive way to go and coach was with you. Exactly. And, and, and I assure you that we are not uh, losing on that, but we are giving you the best value for your money. We are also making, m making profit, but we are giving an opportunity to save some dollars that you can spend in Bangkok. Now, let's talk about this for a second. You have a pretty large fleet, a, d a diverse fleet, right? You've got Boeing equipment. You've got Airbus equipment, right? Yes. Uh, but you've got it spread out, right? You, yes. You've got A380s. Yes. You've got triple uh, sevens. Yes. Right. You've got A320s. Yes. And A330s. Yes. And A350s. But, but of course, A350s are replacement for the A330s. Right. And the Dreamliners are replacement uh, for the A330 200s. And you, are we, you were the launch customer, weren't you, for the A350? We were the launch customer. We are still today the largest customer of the Airbus uh, A350. And where will you fly that plane? Well, we are already flying that aeroplane to Australia. We, to one destination in Australia, we are flying it into Europe, we are flying it into London, we are flying it into United States. Uh, we fly to uh, both Boston and New York. Our second frequency to JFK is a 350. Our uh, service to, uh, uh, to Boston is an Airbus A350. And the A380 is on the London route? A380 is on the, on the London route, it is on the Paris route, it is on Bangkok route, it is on Sydney route, and soon on Melbourne route. And eventually, uh, one flight uh, will be to JFK. And then last but not least, before we take a quick break, you now hold the record for the world's longest flight. Yes. Doha to Auckland. Yes. That is one long flight. It is the longest flight vis-a-vis uh, -vis the distance, but it is also longest flight vis-a-vis uh, -vis the duration. It is 17 and a half hours. Have you done it? I have done it. I have done the inaugural flight because I always go on inaugural flights in order for me to be present when we arrive and show uh, uh, what we are because I'm the ambassador of my country and my airline. Did you have to do something special on that flight? No, we didn't have to do anything special because we, in all our flights we do everything special. For Here we passengers. go, there's another plug. Will you stop that? <laughs> no, but you have to figure out the psychographics, the endurance, the humidity, all those things come into play. Yes, uh, the, uh, the, the, the amount of meals we have to carry, the amount of water we have to carry, the amount of amenities we have to carry, so that the passenger experience is always seamless. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Our radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? Help me out here. Is it Qatar Airways or Qatar? Qatar Airways. It is, okay. It will be difficult for you to pronounce. No, no, Qatar. 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 Yes. Was that better? Yes. Okay, good. You've just unveiled a new business class product. Now, there are a lot of airlines out there that are doing that. United Airlines just did Polaris. There's some other airlines. What's different about yours? Because from an airline economic point of view, if you can fill the business class section of the plane, that's where you make your profit. First and foremost, Peter, we have uh, named our product as Q-Suite because, frankly, it is a suite, and it is a first-class product being sold as business class. You have total privacy if you're individual, if you're, you have a privacy if you are two people together, if you are a family of four, you can then create a private jet experience where you can uh, sit facing each other with an open cabin uh, with privacy surrounding around you. And if you are on your honeymoon, you can convert the two seats into a double bed. But keep in mind something, that when we convert it into double bed, a sign will come on, quite please. <laughs> so you should not be making noises. I knew you were going to say that. So, but what happens if you're not on your honeymoon and you just meet somebody on the plane? Well, uh, if you meet somebody on the aeroplane and if that somebody wants to uh, sleep next to you as a double bed, you can also convert because this is, uh, uh, you know, uh, a decision made by two adult individuals, which Qatar so this is does the, not like so to So this control. is the consenting adult flight. Uh, well, uh, you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> but I, as a CEO, want to provide you all the facilities that other airlines cannot. And what we did, Peter, this but time... But in terms of the design, though, Akbar, in terms of the design... This is what I want to yeah, tell you. Yeah. What we did is because in the past, we always raised the bar. If you really go to see, we were the first airline in the, in the world uh, after British Airways to have uh, horizontal flat seats. Life flat. Exactly, in our first class. We were the first airliner in the world after British Airways to have a life flat seat in business class. We were the first airliner in the world to have a lounge on board our airplane, which we introduced in 2005. And all my competition started to copy me. So what we did this time, that we wanted to really once again raise the bar, but do it in a way that nobody will be able to 
copy us. So we patented the seats. Not only we patented the seats, but we also patented parts of the seats. So you will not be able to copy certain aspects of the seat. And we give you the biggest real estate you have around a business class cabin. So in all this, we have been very successful. And, and it took you how, three years. Uh, well, we developed it over three years. Yeah. Because the development started by having something made out of plywood. Then we had something made out of uh, fiberglass. Then we started to s start putting the space around it. And then gradually we came to what the product is finally today. I'm going to assume that you went through about 16 different prototypes before you came to one that you like, knowing you. Uh, no, actually, we didn't need to go through 16. We needed to do many prototypes of right. the same product to get eventually to the quality and the finishes that we will accept on our airplanes. In designing this new product, what was the biggest surprise to you that you didn't expect that you were, wow, now that's a wow? Well, the, the, there was no wows for me because every time I saw the product in its evolution, I did changes to materials, to colors, and of course to the amenities around the seat because we wanted to cover everything that a passenger wants. Okay, so what's, so what's the one thing you said, I need that changed right away, that will not do? Well, it was uh, finishes, materials, and of course the quality of the finish because every seat manufacturer will try to give you what you want, but they will always try to cut corners in quality, and this is what we will never accept. And so, we yeah. also want to do something that is lighter, and easy to maintain. You can always have fancy things around the seats in an aeroplane, but the maintainability is, is the difficult thing that you really need to be able to, to, to grasp. Yeah, because you can't have it breaking down. No, we can't, because you rather not give a product to a passenger than give a broken product that you cannot look after. Exactly. And yet you design this in such a way that people have total privacy. Exactly. You can have total privacy. So if you've done including that- Including a do not disturb sign. Don't go there. <laughs> so if you, if you want to be left alone in peace in your, in your private cabin, right. you can put a, a sign on where the cabin crew knows that you don't want to be disturbed, like in a hotel. Now, you said this is a business class product, which really a first class product sold as a business class seat. Yeah. What about first class? Well, we have first class only on our A380s. Uh, I was right when nearly 14 years ago, I decided to remove first class from all Qatar Airways airplanes and only have a two class uh, uh, aircraft. And now I can see that many airlines in the world are going that way, but 12 years too late. But their business class we will probably, have yeah. We will have first class only flying on our A380s. And that's and it. that to a very limited number of first class, only eight seats. Wow. But how, does, how do those seats stack up against the Q-suite? Well, with, with that, there is uh, another 40% uh, more real estate around the seat. The seats are wider than the current business class seat. The seat is actually, our first class seat is the widest first class seat in the industry. So and it has privacy, but not uh, full privacy like you have in the business class. So you've actually designed this specifically for that? Exactly. We did it so that in order that we always differentiate, but at the same time be in the forefront in the industry of the product. Who's coming up as your competitor to compete with us? None, because it's patented, so they cannot copy it. So they will not be able to do it. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. and everybody who's supposed to be here and then they let guys like me in actually show up to acknowledge the largest industry in the world and someone else who showed up who has a, a number of reasons for being here the editor-in-chief of National Geographic Traveler George Stone how are you man I'm doing very well yeah and congratulations oh thank you yeah. on, on, on surviving ITB so far absolutely <laughs> and congratulations on the magazine come thank on thank you yeah so when you come out to a, to a situation like this I mean, there's just, it's, it's information overload, isn't That's it? That's right. I mean, I mean you, you couldn't physically see everything in the allotted time. No. It's a travel experience unto itself. And um, one thing that it really uh, reinforces is how large the travel and tourism industry is in the world. I mean, it, um, it's a massive employer around the world. It's a massive driver of economies. And um, as our World Legacy Awards is pointing out, it's, it's, it's a, a massive development tool. And what changes are you seeing? Because, you know, we're living in a world of, of global uncertainty. I, I hate to use the F word, but fear. Mm. Uh, we're looking at the numbers 
going down right now, a global travel buyer's market, if you will, as people are, a lot of them are just choosing to stay home. That's right. Yeah. Um, staying home in your home isn't the best choice, but if you're American, you can still travel in the U.S. and have a phenomenal travel experience. But I generally think that travel broadens people, and the more people get out into the world, the more they see, the more they exchange, the more they represent their nation, and the more they open themselves to other people, the better off we'll all be. And then again, in instances where you have a turn down in travel, the traditional reaction from the travel industry is to discount. We're seeing unbelievable fares. New York to Hong Kong for $410. <laughs> take it. I, I mean, can't take jump Acela. on that airplane. I can't get on the Acela for four. I mean, gotta go. I mean, look, if you're yeah. a holder, I, I know you'll agree with this, but I have to say it anyway. Yeah. If you're a holder of a valid U.S. passport, you have no excuse. Right. Now is the time to get out and, and take that big plane trip and just jump on it and enjoy it. There's no reason not to. And you're going to be open yourself to this great discovery. Hong Kong is a super example. Even if you have only a week, you can get to Hong Kong. The, you, Hong Kong is not just a city. There are parks and islands all around Hong Kong. There's How about so this? Much to 235 islands in Hong Kong. <laughs> well, you got you got the numbers. I do. That one I got. <laughs> and Hong Kong itself is an island. Yeah. So the thing is, it's there, and you, and it's and the and the transit system there works. It's easy to get around. People speak English for the most part. Yeah. It's it's a wonderful place to explore. In your coverage of the world, and you are covering the world, what are you seeing as the shifts in interest now? What what would you say? And everybody always asks this question, but I have to do it too. The hot new destinations for 2017. Well, I mean, a hot concept might be safe haven travel, and that's pushing some travelers into the Nordic countries. So are you, we're all going to Oslo. Yeah, yeah, but I don't really believe that. I mean, that's a concept. Um, I still think that some of these classic, iconic draws are there. I'm a big fan of Spain. Um, I can't go to Spain often enough. And then if you go to regions within Spain, like Basque Country, which is one of my all-time favorites, you're actually in a country within a country. It doesn't take too long to get there. It's languages within languages and an experience unto its own. It's true. And, and okay, that's, those are a couple of destinations. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking right now with the, with the power of the U.S. dollar being as strong as it is, the euro almost on a par with the dollar, the British pound completely you know, reduced, the devaluation of the Egyptian pound, the, the mm -hmm. Turkish lira. I mean, for the first time, at least in my recent history, we are as, a, as United States citizens in the driver's seat. Then it is our duty as United States citizens <laughs> to see the well, world. Now you put it like but, that. But, well, then let's make an argument for more vacation time from our employers while we're at it. Are you lobbying the National yeah, Geographic Society? Yeah, I will. <laughs> and I'm not actually counting too much. Don't tell my boss, but I never count about the employees. But, you know, Americans, let's face it, we're terrible at taking our vacation days. Yeah. It's like fear of missing out or thinking that we'd be replaced if we leave. I mean, when you take a look at the total number of days we choose not to take, which we don't get back, by the no, way. No, we don't. It's a little scary. It's it's staggering, and and it has a consequence. And I hear again and again from our readers that they come alive when they're away. And it usually happens after about three days away. And then they have a break from their routine. Maybe they put their cell phone down. Maybe they just open themselves up to listening to one another if they're traveling with their family. These things are happening. And it's wonderful, but it's also a little bit sad when you hear that people come alive when they're traveling, more alive than they are in their day-to-day -day life. But I understand that because it's a brave new world at that point. And then yeah. it's an environment they're not used to. And I'm not so sure that we put our cell phones down, by the way. <laughs> uh, we don't change, at least my experience, we don't change our lifestyle when we change our location, even if we think we do. What we do is we occasionally, when we're, when we're traveling, look up from the cell phone. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. It's, there, it's still there. It's, we, it's documenting our every move. I mean, look, George, you, yeah. be honest with me now. When you get to a hotel room in another country, first thing you do, you're crawling around looking for an outlet. Come yeah. on, you yeah, are. I am. Well, the first thing I do is I look at how many steps I've taken on my cell phone, and I and I just pray that it's more than 10,000 because in my work-a-day life, it's like hundreds. So that's ah. another good reason to travel. What's your, what's your personal best? Well, this year, I think it was like 18,000, but, um, but I have a feeling I must have given it to some child to run around with. That's your excuse. That's my excuse. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. And you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. 
And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts.